You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's up, y'all? You're listening to another episode of the Miami Nation podcast. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle here in College Station. Joined always by Travis Brown, AM sports writer for the Eagle. Travis is not in College Station, though. Travis, where the heck are you today? I'm out here in Stanford, California, on the campus of Stanford. Behind me is Klein Field at the Sunken Diamond, which Klein Field at Sunken Diamond is such a cool ballpark name. But we're here for the Stanford Regional. Texas A&M is here in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they'll play Cal State Fullerton tomorrow at, well, it's 7 p.m. our time, but it'll be 9 p.m. in Central. Uh, and then also Stanford and San Jose State. They've been out here practicing today uh, at the, the Sunken Diamond and. It, man, let me tell you, I'm, I'm wearing a vest. The weather is beautiful out here. Okay, two questions. First of all, what is the temperature there actually? It, I believe the high was in the high 60s. The low tonight is going to be uh, in the 50s. So, and we're I in hate June. You. This is I actually hate you. still June. <laughs> and okay, so you say sunken diamond. So, when you say sunken diamond, is it like, is it like down in the ground? Like they dig a hole and put a baseball field in there? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't really know. Cause I mean, you see here, if I can, if you can see it, it says the Stanford sunken diamond. Uh, no, I mean, the diamond is at, I mean, it might be a little bit below ground level, like, like just a little bit, but it's, uh, you know, you walk in. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it is a little bit below ground level. Now you think about it, cause you walk in and you're for the most part at, Ground level is is about the height of the dugouts, the top of the dugout. So the amount of of top to the dugouts to the ground floor is how much it's sunken, sunk. Well, I'm glad that was an easier mystery to solve than where the bottom trophy is. <laughs> anyway, let's talk some baseball, Travis. AM, they're playing Cal State Fullerton tomorrow night. Uh, you've got three West Coast schools, it totally different style of ball, but AM's coming in. They're coming off a really hot week where the pitching just out of nowhere has found its identity, especially from the left side. Yeah, we talked to Troy Wansing, uh, talked to Jim Schlossnagel today. Uh, you know, Jim Schlossnagel liked to hype up the fact that Troy Wansing got that one bullpen relief uh, work at the end of the very end of the last game of the season uh, at Mississippi State. And everything kind of turned around from there. And, and he said it, just that approach from being back in the bullpen is what kind of switched things around for him. He, you know, you go out there when you're the bullpen, all you really know is you might have an inning. And so you give everything you got in that inning. You don't hold anything back. You're not trying to uh, hold back a, a breaking pitch or a fastball or give guys different looks uh, like you might as, as a starter or you think you might need to as a starter. He went out there and just threw pitches and threw pitches well uh, and then brought that over into the starting game and was not really looking past the inning that he was in, just trying to get the guy out in front of him. And he threw a one hitter in the SEC tournament, and he said that that's also contagious. You saw some of those other a And M pitchers follow suit and have a really good performance. So, um, yeah, I think that that's been was kind of the key. And he said, they all said that they believe that that can carry over into play uh, this this weekend. You know, these are three teams that a And M is probably not very familiar with. Uh, obviously, a lot of pedigree, especially between Stanford and Cal State Fullerton, of course. Travis Anum, of course, they're gonna they're gonna start tomorrow off against the Titans. Can you just kind of give us a little scouting report on on what Aggie Aggies can expect to see from from that Cal State Fullerton squad? 
baseball, baseball. It's get guys on, get them over, um, do whatever you can to get those, those guys over. Probably aren't going to have huge power numbers, but they're going to try to, to generate offense in, in other ways. And so Jim Schlossnagel said, they've got to be solid on defense and they got to be solid throwing strikes because you can't let give them free passes and walks. I mean, that's something that's played A&M in the SEC, but the difference in the SEC is if you, if they got guys on, those guys might get around via home run. In these games, it's if you get that that leadoff runner on, they're going to lay down a bunt, move them over, do a hit and run to the right side to get them moving towards home, generate offense like that quickly. Maybe maybe not as much base stealing, but but think Louisiana Lafayette last year in the uh, the the blue bonnet or the Bluebell Park Regional, the the, the College Station Regional last year. Uh, that when Louisiana there, they're going to just try to generate offense however they can, not power arms but guys who can throw strikes. Um, and it, it should be said, this is a field uh, that Cal State Fullerton comes and plays at just about every year. They know this area. They know this terrain. They know uh, these temperatures. So um, it'll be more familiar confines for them than it will the Aggies, for sure. Stanford, of course, the favorite. They're the regional host, the number eight overall seed in the NCAA tournament, uh, winners of the Pac-12 regular season. You know, this has just kind of become normal for them. I mean, this is what their fifth, sixth year hosting, and they've been to the College World Series the last two years. I mean, what what makes this Stanford team so good this year, Travis? They they play. I mean, it's it, it's kind of a carryover from what they were able to do last year in in Omaha, and it's a it's a team that coaches. And if you just watch it, it looks like an SEC team. They've got power bats and power arms. They hit a lot of home runs, and they they throw a lot of uh, uh, strikeouts. Uh, Cal State Fullerton actually has the best pitching numbers when it comes to uh, walks to per, walks per strikeouts and walks per nine, uh, uh, nine innings pitched and ERA. Uh, uh, Cal State Fullerton leads the regional in those numbers. Stanford, however, leads the regional in strikeouts and they lead the regional in power numbers, slugging, home runs, uh, things like that. So it, that's if Ana moves on and does face a Stanford, that's going to feel a lot like one of these SEC teams that they've played uh, through the regular season and through the SEC tournament. But, you know, as they, they, they talked about, they're not going to see there's good pitchers at this regional, but they're not going to see that constant one after another, like they did at the SEC tournament of, you know, big league level arms uh, going in and out, uh, in and out of the, the, the lineup and in and out of the bullpen. Um, and, and so, they, they, they will have a t- t- opportunity, they hope, to jump on some guys because it's not going to be that steady flow like in the SEC tournament. Well, Travis, here's the question everybody wants to know. How far do you think AM can go in this regional? And, and what's it going to take for AM to to have some success this weekend? Well, it goes back to the starting pitching, just like it did in the SEC tournament. You know, I said when we kind of previewed that and talked about that, that they were, I didn't think they were going to last in the SEC tournament because they didn't, um, I didn't believe they had the starting pitching to be able to do that. Well, uh, they proved over and over again that the starting pitching has seemed to arrive. You had Troy Wansing with the one hitter shutout. You had Justin Lampkin with a one hit shutout. Um, you had, uh, uh, Will Johnson going out there and getting a quality start when he was there. Uh, Nathan Detmer was the only one actually who was kind of, uh, behind a little bit on, on some of those numbers, but the, uh, I, it goes back to the starting pitching, Justin Lampkin or, uh, Will Johnson, probably Will Johnson's going to get the nod, uh, tomorrow against Cal state Fullerton. They might save Nathan Detmer, uh, for, uh, Stanford. 
uh, tomorrow or a loser's game bracket. But the good news for A&M is when you went into the SEC tournament thinking you didn't have enough pitching to make it through tournament, that was what, seven games in nine days? I think if you go back to include the uh, the Mississippi State series a couple days before that, I mean, this is going to be uh, at the most five games in, in, in four days, three days or four days. Um, they showed they have the pitching that, that they could, they could do that. So you got to get the quality starts and then, uh, keep up with the timely hitting. The interesting thing that we asked both Schlossnagel and Cal state Fullerton's head coaches, that a lot of people have said this ballpark plays differently during the day than at nighttime, those temperatures cool. you know, right now it's, it, it's, a, it's toasty. I mean, one of the reasons why your Alex is actually mad at me on the other side is it took me forever to get on this zoom call because, my uh, my hotspot got too hot sitting out here and overheated. So it feels warm out here right now. And usually warm weather makes the ball fly a little bit farther, but it's going to drop into the fifties and you're going to need to get your jackets out and they're going to put their arm sleeves on that stifles the, uh, the balls traveling a little bit. Um, I think that might favor A&M a little bit because they have the night game tomorrow, help their pitchers all out a little bit and uh, they can still hit the ball. They're not just, solely dependent on the home run to generate offense. And I think that the night game suits them a little bit better. So that's another factor to watch uh, in the series as well. You know, you mentioned that too. And something that I seem to notice last week, just watching them, the sec tournament, they, they, they got back to what some of their mojo was last year, really hard. And that was just finding ways on base, you know, going, getting pitch counts up and they're in their at bats and, and just finding ways to get on base, whether it was a, five or six pitch walk, a base hit, something. It, I mean, that that's just something that I noticed last week. And I mean, if that that's might be what it takes to, to manufacture a key run here or there uh, in a ballpark that, like you said, might play a little different at night. You go back to that championship game against Vanderbilt and really the whole season, to be honest, AM was not afraid to steal bases. Jace Laviolette, one of the biggest guys on the team, the biggest power hitter on the team. Uh, I believe he's two stolen bases away from a 20 uh, stolen base season. So they are not afraid to run on the base pass. I think you'll see a lot of that out here in these games because, you know, if it's the night game and if they feel like that the the power isn't necessarily going to be there with uh, the way that the the atmosphere is playing, they're going to be looking to generate some runs too. Now, of course, we know with Jim Schlossnagel, he's uh, he's allergic to to the bunts. They're not going to be laying down bunts, but they they do do some other situational things with with hit and runs um, and situational hitting. They have some great situational hitters, and and I know it's something they work on every time in the uh, in the the batting cages during batting practice. But a lot of guys doing a really good job put, uh, pushing the ball the other way, especially those right-handed hitters going to generate some offense by getting some guys moving. So I, I think that's definitely something to watch a team that uh, entered the conference tournament leading the SEC in stolen bases. Well, Travis, you got any fun little tidbits or stories uh, from your short time that you've been out there today? I mean, I, something we've talked about in our, uh, in our previews, you got a couple of uh, players and Hunter Haas, Jack Moss, who were both at Arizona state coming back into the, the PAC 12 region to play again. The funny thing is, both of those guys, I believe, said they were hurt. I know Hunter Haas was hurt. They, they never actually got to play here. Um, they were they've been around here, but they haven't gotten to play in this ballpark. But uh, Jack Moss said he's played with a lot of the Stanford guys in the high school uh, time growing up. He knows some of those guys. And then you have uh, Michael Early and Nate Yeski 
uh, who both, you know, Nate Nieski was a longtime pitching coach at Oregon State just up the road from here, uh, which, which, you know, I actually, you know, we need to clarify and I, I that I know that this isn't the Pacific Northwest, contrary to what I tweeted. This is actually NorCal. The Pacific the Bay Northwest Area, Travis. The Bay Area. Well, it's it's NorCal too. You know, that's bigger region. But up, you know, up at Oregon State in the Pacific Northwest is where Nate Yeski was the longtime pitching coach and then went down to uh, Arizona State or excuse me, in the Arizona. And then uh, Michael Early came over from Arizona as well. Um, so those guys know some Pac-12 ball, know how to how balls played over here and a little bit of kind of a, a homecoming for them. Um, trying to think of uh, a couple, uh, you know, looking at the rosters, there's a couple, there's a, a kid from Arlington on uh, Stanford's roster and a kid from Frisco uh, on uh, San Jose State's. They're freshmen. The, uh, the uh, Stanford kid uh, hasn't really played this year. San Jose State is a catcher. He's uh, been a little bit of a role player, so a little little Texas flavor to this. But, you know, it's, it's something that they've talked about pretty regularly, the fact that this is the only West Coast regional. I mean, it's the first time since uh, 2013 that there hasn't been a Texas uh, regional in the, in the state of Texas where normally an A&M would go to, uh, to, to participate. And not only that, but it's the furthest one uh, West. Stillwater is the next closest one. And so when people get done with watching their uh, uh, regionals out east, uh, they're going to tune in and this is going to be the only thing going. So there's going to be a lot of eyeballs and it's a regional with a lot of pedigree. You know, uh, Cal State Fullerton, four national titles. Uh, Stanford has two. There's like between Stanford A&M, Cal State Fullerton's 40 something College World Series appearances. This is a blue blood regional. Uh, and it's going to be fun to see um, it's programs that that aren't necessarily averse to this kind of spotlight and who can make the most of that. It's going to be really fun to watch. Well, Travis, I want to throw you a little curveball real quick because I know you've been going. I wasn't really great at hitting the curveball, let's be honest. Well, I was kind of I was kind of a dead red full hitter. So we'll see how this goes. Well, in case you were wondering, on the other coast today, the SEC announced that in 2024, they're going to be playing eight games in the football schedule, at least for one more year, possibly a couple more. Uh the, the future schedule beyond 24 is, is still to be determined. I guess just what are your thoughts on that? And just, I mean, every indication leading up to last week was that the SEC was actually finally going to move to nine games going to this 16 team conference. And now all of a sudden they've kind of, they've kind of paused and, and they're going to take at least another extra year before they consider doing that. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at some of the quotes and comments that are coming out from death, and where the SEC meetings are happening, um, there seems to be a, a pretty strong divide against the schools that um, have traditionally been pretty successful and the ones that sometimes have been ha- having to fight for a, uh, a bowl eligibility. And, and uh, adding that extra SEC game is another way to make it harder to get to bowl eligibility. And it seems like there's a, a, a healthy amount of people who are more worried about that and what it looks like to make that make the college football playoff. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing because you say that a lot of people want to say that money drives everything, but the, the money making opportunity here would be to add another sec football game. Cause that's another home game that will draw a crowd at least every other year or so um, and get, bring in the big bucks. 
it, it's going to eventually, it has to eventually get to nine games. I know the first year is going to be eight games was the announcement, uh, but they are going to try to preserve most of the natural rivalry. So you will see Texas and Texas A&M playing in that 2024 season, even if LSU or one of these other schools is A&M's one permanent rival per se. Um, but moving past that, you've got to think that they're going to move to nine. Another thing this does do is that 2024 season will be the first in the 12 team playoff. And there's probably some of these uh, ADs and presidents that want to get some of those data points about how uh, the committee puts at large bids into a a 12 team uh, playoff. And uh, if strength of schedule, um, an extra conference data point is all going to matter that much or not. I can see where they're coming from, but it does seem like all roads here are eventually going to end at nine games because let's be real. It's, it's the money that drives everything and the money, there's more money to be made with a nine game schedule than an eight game schedule. I just, I don't see how it, it doesn't arrive there. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, I, I'm I'm personally a little surprised that they didn't just go ahead and do it. You know, the reasons that have been outlined by some of the really good reporters like Ross Dellinger and some of these others guys from The Athletic, I mean, I understand why they're not doing it yet, but it but it's still kind of silly. I mean, why why would you not? Why would you why would you not want AM versus Tennessee over AM versus like an Abilene Christian, like that, that's just a no brainer to me. Uh, something I'm curious about though, Travis, is that in 2024, Georgia was already supposed to make its long awaited trip to Kyle field. I'm curious if that's still going to be on the books or not. You would think that some of those things would still come in line when they look at that schedule because they, they it's going to be an eight game schedule, but they're not even really going to, it's not going to be that, eight and one permanent because permanent means that there's like an annual reoccurrence of that. So it's going to just be a, a individually crafted schedule that year. You know, the other thing that's come out of there too, is that a lot of these coaches want to, and ADs want to deflect away from the scheduling thing, saying that there is issues that are more pressing. And one of those issues is, uh, you know, NIL and how NIL is going in the SEC. The thing that's fascinated me out of these, even more so than necessarily the schedule in 2024, is the fact that Greg Sankey has come out and said, and it's something he talked about at at Media Days last year, but it seemed a little bit further off than maybe it's the conversation is now. And that is, if there isn't going to be any federal legislation for NIL that governs the entire country, the SEC is going to look to try to... uh, um, standardize NIL laws within all the states that haven't the SEC footprint is in. Now, that's challenging because the new NIL bill in, in the state of Texas that's at, on the governor's desk right now to be signed has a clause at the beginning of it that says anything that an outside organization governing body, i.e. the NCAA, and most people said this was pointing at the NCAA to say, NCAA, you can't come in here and tell us what to do. But the way that the the bill is laid out it also applies to the sec that if the sec wants to come in and say okay all of our sec school states you're going to follow these ncaa guidelines right now the texas state law says the sec can't do that texas can say we don't care we have this you you can't tell us to violate our own laws that are on the books so it's going to be interesting to see if these states are willing to hand over the rights that they have to basically make nil whatever it is um, uh, in each individual state, 
and, and unify into one. The coaches say they want that, but right now the coaches, the ADs, if they are in the ears of their current state legislatures, they have the power to make NIL basically whatever they want. So it'll be interesting to see if all the talk that these coaches are have about wanting to have guardrails, wanting everything to be standardized, if that is really true, or if they would rather have the control, because these state legislatures obviously are willing to go about doing exactly what the coaches, the ADs want. So it's going to be an interesting balance and see where that, where that, if that comes to fruition. Well, in case in point, A&M's been at the forefront of really walking alongside a lot of those legislatures and, and kind of seeing where that NIL legislation goes within the state of Texas throughout this legislative session this spring. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be interesting to keep and follow along. All right, Travis. Well, I think you've still got some more work to do, so we'll let you get back to it. But uh, how can people follow your work, of course, uh, while you're out there in uh, the Bay Area NorCal? Yeah, we need to check the eagle.com, the Eagle app. Download the Eagle app if you haven't uh, gotten that and follow along there. We'll have some sights and sounds video from today, a little bit of a preview of uh, the regional heading into tomorrow and uh, uh, lots of good video content uh, moving forward. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Miami Nation podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe, of course, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll see you next time. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, the way to must have the seems. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good love ain't easy, girl, we know that's true. We wanna keep it, we gotta watch everything that we do, yeah, yeah. Don't wanna make sure my baby, make sure you're sticking with me. Don't